VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. Good morning, everyone. This week at VA, episode 52, Friday, October 13th. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. On today's agenda, we have information about health care for reentry veterans, a panel discussion from the Center for Minority Veterans, and our veteran of the day, Clay Coffey. First, health care for reentry veteran services and resources. If you're wondering what this is or if this is a new thing, this is a resource that VA provides. It's been around for a while. Most veterans who are in jail or prison will eventually re-enter the community, and VA's HCRV program is designed to promote success and prevent homelessness among veterans returning home after incarceration. The services include outreach and pre-release assessments services for veterans in prison, referrals and links to medical, mental health, and social services, including employment services on release, and short-term case management assistance on release. Now, it's important to know that VA may not provide medical services that are provided by correctional institutions, but benefits are still available, and this program helps the veteran transition back into their lives and into their health care with VA after release. Back in August, the National Women Veterans Summit got cut short due to Hurricane Harvey, leading to uh, a full day's worth, I think a day and a half worth of panels and sessions that did not and get to happen. And the Center for Women and Veterans has been looking for ways to deliver that material from the summit. So I offered this podcast as a platform for one of their panels. Uh, so today's future interview is actually a panel discussion among four minority veterans, four minority women veterans, I should say. The leader of this discussion is Barbara Ward, who is the director for the Center for Minority Veterans here at VA. She's joined by Ginger Miller, Juanita Mullen, and Teresita Smith. The four of them are going to talk about their experiences being a minority woman veteran in the veteran community and their experience in getting care through VA. Good afternoon, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we are going to actually do our podcast today on the um, minority women's panel that we were supposed to conduct at the Women Veterans Summit, which was hosted by the Center for Women Veterans. So I appreciate your taking the time out of your busy schedule um, to join me today. Um, I am Barbara Ward. I'm the director for the Center for Minority Veterans, and I am a former Air Force nurse, served two years um, in the Air Force. And since that time, most of my experience and background has been in private industry and I did work for the California Department of Veterans Affairs as the Deputy Secretary for Women and Minority Veterans, and then I've been in my current position as Director since 2012. So I think I have a pretty good grasp on background and issues and challenges that actually face minority veterans um, when we consider about the women veterans population overall. So what I'd like to do is to start out um, and have each of you introduce yourself and give a little of your background, and then from there, then we'll actually get into the more formal part of asking questions. So, Ginger, would you be um, willing to start for us? Sure, absolutely, Barbara, and thank you so much for having me on this panel. I consider it to be an honor. 
My name is Ginger Miller. I'm a former, former homeless veteran. I'm an African-American woman veteran, for those of you who are listening. And I'm also the founder and CEO of Women Veterans Interactive. And you know, my background as being a minority woman veteran, um, it's been kind of tough. Um, when I first got out of the military, I really didn't know where to look for services uh, for veterans, and that is one of the reasons why I became homeless. But as I continued this journey, I realized that outreach is so important for veterans, especially minority veterans, because for whatever the reasons are, we just don't seek out the services the way that we should. And this is something that has really transformed me into being a strong advocate, not just for minority veterans, but in particularly women veterans. And when we peel back the layers, you know, minority women veterans. It's just so um, crucial to me that minority women veterans find out about the services and support that's available to them so they, that they don't become homeless after leaving the military. Thank you, Ginger. Teresita, would you like to go next? Yes, thank you, Barbara, and thank you for this opportunity to uh, speak um, as a Pacific Islander uh, from Guam, uh, where I came in to join the Army in 1975, but actually went to basic in 1976 as a patient administrator. And after four years, it was such a boring job, I needed to uh, change my, my MOS, so I did so. I made a move to military intelligence, which uh, what led me to my job today. However, um, myself and two other uh, women from Guam joined the military because of patriotic reasons. Uh, our men are constantly going in uh, back since Vietnam uh, War to say thank you to the United States for their men and the women who came to the island after the Japanese took over in World War II because, you know, America's or the U.S. been in the island since 1898, the Spanish-American War. And the Japanese came uh, in 1941 and, and took over, and it was easy for them to take over because the island next door was already Japanese-owned. So, And while they were there, they were doing a lot of really bad killings and just really bad stuff that... Uh, if the Americans didn't come in um, July 21st, 1944, uh, my mother would have been killed uh, mm. twice. She almost had her head chopped out. So I probably wouldn't be here today uh, if it wasn't for the American people. So the patriotism on the island and in CNMI, Commonwealth of Northern Marianas, which is also uh, Chamorro, uh, but also American Samoa, you know, in Hawaii, we're very patriotic for because of World War II, and that's for my generation. So, being here today uh, is an honor. I'm still paying back with the Department of Defense, and I have two more years before I could retire from uh, paying back uh, to the American people. I'll then be like over 40 years, or four decades of uh, just paying back. So. Mm. Uh, maybe I might continue on and work with the minority office as an advocate, as a uh, freelance advocate for our veterans. Who knows? But uh, yeah, Chamorro woman who, who had a lot of problems, but um, being retired in 1997, didn't have the capabilities and capacities from my agency to see a VA person, so I was by myself. But I did seek out VA. So. Okay, thank you, Teresita. Juanita, you're next. Yep. Thank you, Barbara. Again, I'm Juanita Mullen. 
I joined the um, Air Force in 1980. I was, um, I came from, I'm originally from New York State. I'm, I'm, I'm an enrolled member of the Seneca Nation of Indians and from the Cattaraugus Indian Reservation. I retired in 2000 and um, after I retired, I worked with the Bureau of Indian Affairs here in Washington, D.C. for about four years prior to coming over to the Department of Veteran Affairs. While I worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, I was the self-determination specialist and then also worked in Indian education. So during my tenure there, I, was, I worked with the tribes across the nation and dealing with their contracts and grants. So after, in 2004, towards the end, I came over to the Department of Veteran Affairs and worked in the Center for Minority Veterans and still here as American Indian Alaska Native Veterans Liaison. So, um, and, and I'm retired Air Force, and, and that's it, yeah, for me. Okay, ladies. Well, now we're gonna start with the formal part of um, answering questions. I had distributed to each of you um, earlier in advance of the summit a couple of articles that actually focused on minority um, women veterans. One was entitled, Minority Women Veterans Are Our Most Invisible um, Heroes. And so with that theme in mind, what I'd like to do is um, start by asking you, what challenges um, have you and women from your culture experienced um, as a female veteran? And I will start with you. Ginger? Okay, um, as an African-American woman veteran um, and for other African-American women veterans, I think sometimes some of the challenges we face is that we do, um, I'm not gonna say that we're invisible, but as women, we're natural caregivers, you know, we're go-getters, we wanna be super women, and that we tend to take care of everyone else except for ourselves until it's too late, and then you have to cry out for services. Then we have a tendency to also um, suffer in silence which is bad because when you're serving in the military, you have a sense of pride. And like I could speak for myself, I went into the military, into the Navy in 1988, specifically to get the GI Bill. My parents didn't have a lot. They were immigrants from Honduras. And sometimes in the African-American community, some of us don't have a lot. And we go into the military because we want to make something of ourselves and we want to be better than our parents were. And then when you come out and you're suffering through the transition, it's like, something happens to that sense of pride that you once had and you're afraid, afraid to raise your hand. So I think as for African-American women veterans, um, we have to learn how to raise our hands and ask for the help and then, you know, each one reach one. Because I can speak for myself again, um, I was ashamed to be homeless. You know, I didn't know where to look for help. I didn't know that the VA had the HUD-VASH program. And had I known, I wouldn't have to be street homeless. You know, so I think as African-American women veterans, we have to learn how to reach out. We have to learn how to advocate for each other. So I think that's one of the biggest issues we have. It's not that we're invisible. Um, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and I just started seeing the trend, like when women veterans, and this could a absolutely pertain to minority women veterans, when we get out the military, is I don't really think that we become invisible, but it's almost like we disappear. Like, and I, I pictured women veterans coming out of like a New York City apartment building or like a, a corporate office and you're a woman veteran, you're getting out the military and the crowd is there walking down the street. And we just have a tendency to blend right in because we have to go on with our lives. We have to get a job to take care of our kids. Some of us are single parents. Some of us are going through divorce. And because we are strong women, you know, we just tend to blend right in and put our veteran status on the back burner. 
So in essence, how do we get you know minority women veterans to put your veteran status in the forefront and keep it there? Okay, great. Excellent insights that you shared. So Teresita, I know um, with your having served on the advisory committee um, that you've been very active with Chamora um, Women Veterans. So what unique challenges do you feel that they face as women veterans? Asian Americans, Filipinos, if they decide to go home to the Philippines, there's only one CBOC there, right? Like 19,000 Filipino Americans go back to the islands. A lot of the people from the islands want to go back home, but maybe because their children are going to college here, they don't go back home. So I stayed here, so I'm, I'm fortunate. But a lot of Chamorro women or Samoan women or men, when they go back to the island, huge problems with transitioning. Of course, no job for them. They're on a small island. The, the capabilities and capacity that VA have, half or even more than half is not there. Why? Geographical location. It's just too far. The only hospital we have is in Hawaii. Guam has a CBOC, but it's small. So with Guam, with Micronesia, you got the federal states of Micronesia, you got the Commonwealth of Northern Marianas, you got all these other islands now like Panape and Panape and Koshere who are joining the military. And the, it's the, the issues of them coming out of the military or maybe even because they're wounded warriors now, it's a lot, it's really bad because there's no hospital. They have to travel to Hawaii. Mm and that's really costly to go to Hawaii. A lot of them want to go to the Philippines, but we don't own the Philippines, you know, we're not part of the Philippines, but Hawaii's eight hours flight just to get to Hawaii from my island. It's even farther for the Philippines, for the Asian Americans, but yeah, um, transition, if you do go back, it's a major issue with medical health uh, benefits, and, and cemetery, you know, we only have a small cemetery. Samoa, they bury you in front of the house. Hmm. No problem. But what if they run out of space, you know, where they're gonna bury this person? So it's just different for each place. And, uh, you know, it's really, um, I think VA really needs to help us, help, help the Pacific Islanders and the Asian Americans on that side. Puerto Rico and US Virgin Islands, you know, they're okay, but because of the geographic location, can you imagine if Korea did shoot that nuke off and even get close to the island? How are they gonna to get to that island? Mm -hmm. And there's so many veterans there. How are we gonna treat the, how is VA gonna treat the veterans there? And we're gonna to get to that yeah. in a later question. <laughs> okay. Okay, Juanita, from my having worked with you and been to some of the powwows and events that you have um, hosted and participated in, I think Native American veterans are really unique from a cultural standpoint. So what challenges does that um, create for Native American women veterans? Okay, and then uh, Native American um, culture um, is, our culture is pretty unique because we have 567 federally recognized tribes throughout the United States and Alaska. And each tribe is different. We cannot assume there are any, any one of them are the same. And depending on the tribe, um, one of my experiences was that when I went to a tribe up north, north northwest area, um, I, we were doing a stand down and 
um, it was for all. I was conduct I was having a meeting with uh, veterans at a tribe, and then when I showed up, um, there was no female veterans in that meeting. They had female veterans, but before I went up there, I was told that from a female veteran from that tribe that they weren't invited to come because the males consider a veteran who's fought in a war. If you didn't fight in a war, then you're not considered a veteran. And then some tribes don't don't look at female veterans as a veteran. And um, and so I was told this ahead of time, and it and she proved they proved my point because when I went into that meeting, it was all males, and they were surprised. I was a female veteran, and and I asked them, I go, where are the females? They said they put the word out, but they they didn't come. And then um, I attended another event where it was a stand down for all veterans within a tribe. And um, I did have a female native veteran show up, but the problem that she had was um, she was able to drive. They, with some of the tribes out west are so far from, you know, like if you have like near a VA facility or even if it's within their community of a, if a certain area in the tribe, um, it's pretty far, depending on the distance. She was able to get to the um, stand down, but she didn't have enough gas money to get back. And and I think this is a lot of the reasons why um, a lot of female veterans don't attend certain VA functions because of the distance. And then also, depending on where the tribe is located, they have you know we deal with racism, and that prevents us from coming you know, fourth and that, and so, but again, it depends on the tribe. And also, I, I talked to another female veteran, and since she was in the military, she retired from the service after 20 years, and that's a long time to be away from your tribe and your culture and your family members. And when she retired and went back, she had a hard time with the tribe accepting her back into the community because she's mm -hmm. been gone for so long. And so um, these are some of the um, um, issues that Native American female veterans have to deal with. Okay, well now, since you brought up the topic of racism, um, that was one of the um, challenges that one of the articles that I sent to you actually addressed. Do you feel that um, as a female veteran from your different racial, ethnic, um, cultural backgrounds, that racism presents different, unique challenges for you as a female veteran? Ginger. I, I say absolutely yes. Um, as the founder and CEO of Women Veterans Interactive, you know, it's a great nonprofit organization that I started back in 2011. We have done tremendous work in the women veterans community. Uh, but yet and still we remain underfunded. You know, we get turned down for a lot of grants, we get turned down for a lot of sponsorships, we get a lot of doors closed in our face, but then when you look at, you know, the other nonprofit organizations who are run by Caucasian men, they all have 13, 14, 15 million dollar budgets. And then you say to yourself, okay, this is not just a woman veterans problem, but this is a minority woman veterans problem. You know, I'm an African American CEO, there's nothing I can do about that. And then when you take a step back and you look at women veterans as a whole, you know, um, the Women's Memorial is in danger of being closed down due to lack of funding. So mm -hmm. if the Women's Memorial is, is due, is, is having these issues, what's gonna happen to the rest of us? 
you know, and that's something for all women veterans. You know, it, it's run by Caucasian women veterans. It was founded by a Caucasian women veteran, and if they don't want to fund that, you know, what's going to happen to my organization, Women Veterans Interactive? But I'm fortunate enough that this is something that I'm really passionate about, so I continue to dig, 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 and dig, and, you know, form the right partnerships to help move the mission of the organization uh, forward. But I just really think, in all honesty, that, you know, it's 2017, women veterans are the fastest growing population of the homeless segment, and it's a sad state of affairs when you look across the board. Um, most of the nonprofits, well, a few of them are run for women veterans by African-American women veterans, and we struggle. We struggle for funding, yet and still, you know, you have organizations who are run by Caucasians, they'll get a grant, let's say, for $750,000 to do veteran outreach to point veterans in the right direction to get the services. But when they point them in our direction, we don't have the funding to provide the services. So it's kind of like, does that really make sense? Absolutely not. So I think, you know, um, as the CEO of Women Veterans Interactive, I come up against racism every day um, in this veteran arena. And I think it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, I, I believe it was last week, I made a post on uh, the Women Veterans Interactive Facebook page in regards to the diversity conference, the leadership and diversity conference we have coming up. And a gentleman took it upon himself because the first photo I put up was of like the boat cruise and the conference and it had like, it, it, it may have been one photo and it had African-American women there. We have all women veterans, you know, from all eras, all ethnic backgrounds to come to the conference. And he said, well, here we go. Whatever you see the word diversity, it means that, you know, African-Americans are coming out to like showboat and entertain and have a good time and to degrade white people. And he said, I can tell you what, um, as, a, as a combat era veteran, I can tell you all to bleep yourselves mm -hmm. because my wife is a Mexican woman veteran and something, something, something. And I'm thinking to myself like, wow, so your wife is a Mexican, so you must be getting, this is real talk, mm -hmm. you must be giving her a hard way at home because I would hate to be your wife. But what I said to him was, I said, you know what, the word diversity here means it's for all women veterans from all races, all backgrounds, all eras, all services. I said, so rather than, you know, women veterans interactive, go and blank ourselves, what I will do is extend an invitation to you and your awesome wife to come to the conference this year. I said, all you have to do is make it to D.C. and I'll do the rest. And he never responded. So that's racism at its best. Mm -hmm. Lack of funding and then putting up with folks like that who don't understand, you know, the word diversity or the cultural differences that mm -hmm. we have as women veterans in the military. Okay. Well, let's look at um, thinking in terms of uniqueness for women vet veterans in your personal experiences in utilizing the VA. You sort of started down that path, so I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Do you feel, and especially on Terracita, since you serve on the advisory committee or have served on it, um, do you feel that there are disparities in treatment from that standpoint because you are a, a minority woman veteran? A huge disparity for the minority women veterans or any minority veterans on the islands. Okay. Huge disparity. However, the minority veterans from the Pacific Islanders here in the United States, not as much because we have we have the the VA, you know, there. But like I said again in earlier that the culture and traditions and how that Pacific Islander was raised, especially if they were raised on the island, mm -hmm. 
is going to be hard and this is also with Asians we don't go out and seek I feel good I don't want the benefit I don't need the benefit let um, another soldier get the benefit who needs it you know it's so it's out there yes but I don't need it you know let let them have it and don't worry about me so that 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 mentality of the per, the Pacific Islander or the Asian Americans who were born out of the United States but is also true with the same group in California or Hawaii or Washington State or here in DC because that family nucleus is there and that family nucleus is always connected with everybody else so it's always the same so you know it's there but I won't I won't go out and reach out for it but for for race our largest our largest negative for us is that ignorance ignorance of plain American people that Samoans and Chamorros especially Chamorro let's say Samoans they're not but football players Chamorros they can't speak English they're not US citizen these Pacific Islanders are immigrants they got a green card you know they're not US people just don't know and you're born in Guam you're a US citizen You've been U.S. citizens since the day you were born. American Samoa, they're not U.S. citizens, but if they want it, they got it. And they can travel anytime they want. But if they want it, they got it, automatic. It's the same way with any Pacific Island. Puerto Rico, same way. U.S. Virgin Islands, same way. So we speak English in Guam. We speak English in American Samoa. American Samoa is more stronger with their language, so they might have might have a little bit problems when they come to the United States, but with the Chamorros, everything is mandatory English until 19, late 1970s when Guam started fighting for their culture and tradition and said, okay, let's do dual language. Before, it's nothing but English. You don't speak Chamorro anywhere. You don't speak Chamorro in the school. You don't speak Chamorro at work. So can I just English. interrupt you for a moment? I'm trying to get to the point of um, Asian American Pacific Islander women and their experience utilizing VA services. Do you feel that there are health disparities or cultural issues from that perspective? Yes, medically. Do they really know my, my, my problems? Diabetes, heart disease, prevalent okay. cancer with Pacific Islanders especially, diabetes, cancer, and, and uh, heart disease. But do they know? I am so grateful for Dr. Urchin from the the center of. Um, she just got her award from the Black Caucus. Oh, Dr. Shindu. Yes, mm -hmm. the her Office work, of Health Equity. Her work. She's mm -hmm. identifying minority veterans. She's identifying who I am and what what I have inside. So VA Health can treat me the way I should be treated, not treat me because it's the norm. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's, uh, there's uh, issues with especially health, mostly okay. health, you know. Okay, so Juanita, um, I know that we did our site visit in New Mexico where we saw a lot of tribes and natives and um, they expressed various concerns. So what do you think the biggest challenges are for Native American women veterans who utilize VA services, or are there any? 
Okay, um, when we did the Albuquerque site visit, one of the issues that came up was that um, due to our cultural, um, we, to our culture that they prefer a face-to-face. -face. And then one of the issues was that the distance, that they were not able to come in because um, of the distance of, of traveling to the VA Medical Center. And so, and this is why they're not coming in. And so, and this is why they were, they were you know, asking for a face-to-face -face meeting so we can get the VA to go out to them to get them enrolled. And those were like the two main ones during that okay. site visit. Okay, so we do have a limited amount of time, so I'm going to toss out a um, final question for each of you um, to answer. Um, we've heard from women veterans' perspective about being um, disrespected when they go into VA facilities, um, lack of privacy in VA um, medical centers, and those type things. If you had to um, make one suggestion to VA regarding caring for minority women veterans, what would it be? My Ginger? recommendation would be, you know, I love the women's clinic. I think they did a great job. It looks you know, pleasing to the eye, but I would love to see like real doctors. You know, not, and this is not to down anybody, not like a physician assistant, but the few times that I have been to the women's clinic and to see a regular doctor even at the VA hospital, I was misdiagnosed three times okay. and given the wrong medication. So I think they really need to take care of women veterans, minority women veterans better by giving us real services, like real doctors. I think that our healthcare should be comparable to that of someone who is on the outside and have benefits from their corporate job or whatever. They, they really need to take it up another level. Okay, so just to clarify for women veterans who will listen to this podcast, mm -hmm. when you say real doctors, can you define that? Sure. Every um, caretaker that I have seen, I've never seen like an MD doctor in the women's oh, clinic. Okay. It's always been like a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner or something else. And even when you go for like your gynecological services, can we have a gynecologist for okay. that? Like that would be great, okay. you know? And, and just to take it a step further, the, the last time I went, I was given medication because they thought I had something wrong with one of my kidneys, but then the medication I was given was for depression. And when I went to a urologist outside um, with the CHOICE program, they said, what are you doing taking this medication? Like, mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons why you're feeling the way that you are. So if I had a real MD, then maybe that would not have happened. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, Teresita, same question. What would be your one recommendation for VA in providing care for minority women veterans? If I was the VA hospital president, Director. Director in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C. I would clean up the front door. I would put a person with a tag saying, you know, your help. And every person that comes in that door is stopped and asked, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And if they see a woman coming in, go ahead and assume she's a veteran. If they see a woman coming with a man, Assume she's a veteran, not just see the man and say, what can I do for you? My experience with Washington, D.C., VA hospital 
is minimum. And like I said, I went there as soon as I retired in 97 and say, hi, I'm here. I am a veteran. They gave me a card and I was an orange card. And that was the last time. I didn't like the view. I didn't like the environment. I felt really, I felt really like I went backwards. Like I went back in time because being in active duty, the military hospital is clean. The environment is clean. You're seeing, you know, a lot of good stuff that you feel comfortable in the active duty hospitals. And then to come out of that and going to an environment as what it was back in the 90s and probably even today at VA hospital. But you have not been to the DC VA Medical right. Center since the 90s, correct? Right. Well, I went in there in 2000 because, you know, I had to go back for my But that's still, this is 2017. Yeah, yeah. Okay. right, absolutely. So did they renovate? Well, they have a beautiful women's clinic <laughs> mm -hmm. at the DCVA Oh, yes, Medical I heard Center. about your clinic from women mm -hmm. veterans from my agency. Okay, good. They love the cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. She feels like she's a queen when she gets into that well, that's cancer great. treatment. She loves it. She talks highly about it. The clinic in Washington DC. Okay. Good. Yes. So. Okay, so Juanita, from your perspective, since you are a VA employee and utilize VA services, if you could make one recommendation to the department about care for minority women, specifically Native American women veterans, what would it be? I think my number one would be to be more culturally confident because not all minority women veterans do this you know, have the same approach to medications or whatever or receiving it. So I think they need to be more culturally competent. Like from the native side, that when I go home, I'm on so many, I'm on medications for my, um, for my, um, my health care. And when I go home and my family sees all the medication I'm taking, um, especially in our culture, they're more medicinal, more natural. And they try to say that, they tell me that I'm on too many meds, the meds is not good for my system, so they try to get me to be more medicinal type, mm -hmm. the, homo, the home remedies and that. So I think they should look more into the, to the more natural, but again, cultural competency, is, is they need to look at each one of our minority groups to see which, you know, better, better treatments for us. Okay. Well, the good news is um, I attended mm -hmm. a senior leaders business meeting within the past two weeks, and we had a panel of millennial veterans mm -hmm. mainly, good. although there was one um, Vietnam veteran, and they talked about all of the alternative treatments that is a part of this whole health concept. So veterans are actually speaking about instead of um, using a lot of drugs, acupuncture, mm -hmm. meditation, um, doing more healthier things in terms of diet and stuff. So the VA is definitely on track with that. So I do want to say just so that um, all the women veterans that listen to the podcast, we did not leave out Hispanic women veterans. Um, Melissa Castillo um, was supposed to be on our panel and we will be including um, an interview with her um, so that we have the benefit of looking at all of the ethnic groups of women veterans that utilize VA services. So I'd like to thank you ladies um, for taking the time um, to share with us your experiences as minority women veterans. And that concludes our podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.
are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. The Center for Minority Veterans was founded in 1994. The center director serves as principal advisor to the secretary on the adoption and implementation of policies and programs affecting minority veterans. The center, the center serves as an advocate for minority veterans by conducting outreach activities to promote the awareness and use of VA benefits and services. To learn more about the center, visit va.gov slash center for minority veterans, all one word. Today's Veteran of the Day is Clay Coffey. Clay served as an infantryman in the Army from 2008 to 2011. During his service, he deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He spent one year as the president of his SVA chapter at North Lake College and successfully raised thousands of dollars for scholarships for student veterans through his coordination of a 5K held on campus. Unfortunately, earlier this week, Clay passed away in a motorcycle accident, and we honor his service. To read Clay's full write-up and to nominate your own Vet of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 52. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and for all the great feedback we received on last week's episode with Coach K. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash veteransaffairs and for more stories from our community. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash veteransaffairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.